went into a mountain and sat down there. And great multitudes came unto him, having with them those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others, and cast them down at Jesus' feet. And he healed them, insomuch that the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb to speak, the maimed to be whole, the lame to walk, and the blind to see. And they glorified the God of Israel. Then Jesus called his disciples unto him and said, I have compassion on the multitude, because they continue with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I will not send them away fasting, lest they faint in the way. And his disciples say unto him, Whence should we have so much bread in the wilderness as to fill so great a multitude? And Jesus saith unto them, How many loaves have ye? And they said, Seven, and a few little fishes. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and the fishes, and gave thanks, and brake them, and gave to his disciples, and the disciples to the multitude. And they did all eat, and were filled. They took up of the broken meat that was left seven baskets full. And they that did eat were four thousand men, beside women and children. And he sent away the multitude and took ship and came into the coast of Magdala. As we read the scripture this morning, perhaps you're thinking, I've already heard this. Maybe deja vu. Maybe, preacher, we just covered this a few weeks ago, the feeding of the 5,000. But this morning in verses 29 through 31, we have the healing ministry of Jesus continuing. And then in verse 31 or 32 through 39, the feeding ministry of Jesus as He feeds the 4,000. Repetition is the word you were thinking about, possibly. Here we have another story, another account of healing, another account of how Jesus fed the multitudes. Repetition. We read it over and over again. We have two feedings in Matthew's Gospel. We have feedings in Mark, Luke, John. So why is Jesus repeating this story? We know that He can take loaves and fishes and break them and feed thousands. We know that He can do that. He has the power. So why the repetition? Repetition is a beneficial part of life, whether it's reading a school assignment several times, listening to a sermon or a song numerous times, or reading Scripture over and over again. Repetition is a proven benefit to learning. Back several years ago, when I first began teaching the International Sunday School lesson, and had study notes and put that on the radio, uh, I learned that in the International Sunday School lesson, there was a repetition every six years. You went back over the same subject, oftentimes the same scripture or the same theme. That was by design because 
Repetition produces learning. The reality of life is we read something, we hear something, or we are exposed to something, and it will usually fade from memory without repetition. If we do not repeat it or go back over it, we will soon forget it. The Apostle James writes in James 1.22, Be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. It is possible to be forgetful hearers of the word. And it was possible for Jesus' disciples to forget what they had heard Him teach and to forget what they had witnessed Him do. All of us know that we can read or hear Scripture, and as soon as we put the Bible down or leave a service where the Word has been expounded or taught, it starts to fade and we need to read it or we need to hear it or listen again. And can I just say that does not get better with age. That gets worse with age. I had an older preacher tell me when I was in my 30s, he said, you better pray as much as you can while you can still remember who you're talking to and what you're doing. And I just kind of took that and thought, what is he talking about? I'm learning more about that in life. I do not know if you read ahead to see what I'll be preaching the next Sunday, but if you do, you might have said, well, oh no, here's another message about Jesus healing. We've already learned everything about that. Or here's another story about Him feeding the multitudes. What can the preacher say that could be different from what he said the first time? Well, if he preached truth the first time, it really should be just as exciting the second time if it is truth. But there's always more in the Scripture than we understand. As an expositor, meaning a preacher who attempts to preach verse by verse and tell you what the text means instead of telling you what I think the text means, I do not have the liberty to skip over text. Topical preachers have the liberty of skipping over things. Uh, when they come to a subject they don't like or a subject they don't want to study and figure out, they just go to another subject. But when you preach expository when you go through the Scriptures, as Jesus did in Luke 24 with the men on the Emmaus Road, then you must deal with these verses and see exactly what they are saying. Just four weeks ago from Matthew 14, verse 13 through 21, we looked at Jesus' feeding of the 5,000. And the next week in Matthew 14, 34 through 36, where they brought diseased people to Jesus, and as many as touched His garment, He made them whole. This morning we come to the reverse of that. We come to the diseased and, the, and those in need of healing being brought to Jesus, and then we have Him feeding miraculously 4,000 people. The story in our text this morning, the story of the healing and the story of the feeding is not a repetition of the feeding of the 5,000, meaning that it's the same story told a different way. The two feedings are totally different events in Jesus' ministry. He fed the multitudes twice. And the Gospels have not accidentally duplicated the same event in a similar story. They are two different events, and they are recorded for us as the Spirit of God uses repetition to teach us something about our Savior. First of all, two Gospels, Matthew and Mark, record this story. 
Second of all, several details are different from the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. For instance, the number of people fed obviously is different in these two stories. Also, the loaves that were available are different in each story. And another interesting thing, the size of the baskets recorded in the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000 is different if you look at the underlying words. In the feeding of the 5,000, the word basket means a small wicker basket like you might carry out in your garden or you may pick up in a grocery store when you pick up a small basket compared to a cart, something of that size. And there was 12 of those that were left over. But in the feeding of the 4,000, in our text today, the word baskets has a un- different underlying Greek word, which means a large basket. It is the same underlying Greek word used in Acts 9.25 when the Apostle Paul was let down over the city wall in a basket. So you would be thinking maybe of a clothes basket or something a little bit larger than that. Third, in our text today, Matthew says, Jesus in Matthew 15.35 in our text today commanded them to sit down on the ground. If you remember back in Matthew 14, He told them to sit down on the grass. It indicates that this miracle today occurred maybe five or six months later. You have the grass growing in the uh, the blooming season back in Matthew 14, and now the season has passed away and the grass is gone, and they are sitting upon the ground. While the feeding of the 4,000 is not a repetition of the feeding of the 5,000 with different details. It is a repetition of Jesus' power to heal and of His power to feed and take care of the multitudes. Why does Jesus do this twice? Why do the gospel writers record these miracles? Why is Jesus putting this? And if you add all of these up, these two stories are in the gospel six times. The feeding of the 5,000 is in all four Gospels, and the feeding of the 4,000 is in Matthew and Mark. We have six different accounts of the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000. How Jesus feeds and how He heals is recorded numerous times in the Gospels. We read it, we see it, and then something else is brought up, and then the Spirit of God brings us back to this over and over again. Repetition produces learning. Repetition can produce appreciation. And as we come to these stories, although we, have, we know that Christ can do this, we have evidence that He has done this, when we see Him doing this again, it reminds us, it stirs our memories, it refreshes us of the power of our Savior to do whatever He wants to do, whenever He needs to do it, and upon whomever He chooses to do that. As we'll see in a moment, there's always something new in the story. There's always something fresh to learn, something we've missed or failed to grasp or appreciate the first or any other time that we read the accounts of our Lord. How many years have you read the Christmas story, and yet there's always something fresh and new there? Even if you read it in the summer, it still is fresh and new. In a few weeks, we'll go again to the Easter story, the story of our Lord's death, burial, and resurrection. And although we've heard heard it over and over again, it is fresh and it is always revealing. So there is benefit in repetition. 
and reading Scripture over and over again. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul to the Philippian church in Philippians 3.1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Now listen to this next statement. To write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Do you hear the Apostle? The Apostle said, I'm writing the same things we've already talked about, and I'm writing them to you again. And Paul is saying, it doesn't grieve me to do that. He said, I know when I do that, I'm helping protect you, and I'm keeping you safe. Preacher, when you come to a text like this about healings and feedings that you just preached about four weeks ago, does it grieve you? Do you say, oh no, I've got to preach on this same subject again? If I do, then I am not in the same camp with the Apostle Paul. And if I do, I need to change my attitude because Paul said it's not grievous for me to write the same thing to you again. Listen to what Peter said in 2 Peter 1.12. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them, and be established in the present truth. Peter is saying, it, it doesn't bother me to tell you, and I will not be negligent to remind you of things that you already know. We're going over it again, Peter said in order that you be established in the present truth. I want to thank God this morning for the repetition of stories in the Word of God. They seem the same, they read the same, they present the same truths, but they do that over and over again so we might learn something about our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are several things, several truths in this Scripture that I've read this morning. First, in the, in the healings. And then in the feedings, and these two combined, there are basically three, three truths I want you to look at this morning by way of repetition. And when we read this story, these three truths are something that we need to be reminded of over and over and over again. So what is there in the story before us about Jesus and the feeding of the 4,000 that we need to review and be reminded about that will serve as a safeguard and help keep us in truth as Paul told the Philippians and Peter told his readers. Well, first of all, in verse 29 through 31, we can be reminded in this another story about, about healing, we can be reminded this morning that Jesus Christ is Almighty God in the flesh. Jesus Christ is Almighty God in the flesh. You say, well, I know that preacher. I, I've, I've known that all of my life. I've been taught that as well. I do not know a time. I cannot remember a time that I was not taught or did not know intellectually that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. Evidently in the nursery at my home church, evidently in the beginner class at my home church, I remember neither, and it's interesting, all my teachers remember me, but I don't remember any of them, it, but evidently in primary class, and there's where my memory begins to kick in, but all those classes, evidently they taught me as well as my parents at home that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. 
that He was Almighty God. I have always known that. But it never hurts to be reminded of that. That is a safeguard to my life. That helps me in this present age to be grounded in that present truth that the Savior of my soul is Almighty God incarnated. And that is who is working here in these two stories. If you remove the incarnated Christ from the healings, there are no healings, right? If you remove Jesus Christ from the seven loaves and two fishes, there there is no miraculous feeding. If you remove Jesus from these stories, there is nothing but broken humanity and hungry, hungry stomachs. If you remove Jesus Christ as God in the flesh, there is no salvation for sinners. There is no hope for a lost world. There is no safety. There is no truth. If you remove Christ, then everything is lost and empty and broken. When we come to this story, we should be reminded as we looked at as we look at it. Look at verse 29. Second word in the verse, the conjunction and and there is the name Jesus. Verse 39, and he it's referring to Jesus sent away the multitude. So Jesus is the bookends of these two stories. He is departing from one place and then he goes to another place. But everything that happens is because we have the incarnated Christ God in the flesh, Emmanuel with us, is here on this mountain in this moment for these people who are diseased and for this multitude that is hungry. So you may say to yourself or out loud, Pastor, I know Jesus is God in the flesh. And I would agree with you that probably everyone in this building and and most people listening to me by other means this morning would agree with that. But we sometimes miss this glorious truth in everyday life. The fact that Jesus is Almighty God in the flesh is not just to be in our statement of faith or in our covenant or in this or that. It's to be in our everyday life. God is standing at this mountain. He is sitting here. He is having people come to Him. God has incarnated Himself in human flesh. And Jesus is that person, the second person of the Godhead. Thank God He is still able to meet the needs of all who will come to Him and call upon His name. He's Almighty God, meaning He is powerful God. Notice in verse 30, the multitudes came unto him. Now there was always a large group of people around Jesus and it was mostly because of His healing power. The word came means this sick, defiled, diseased, blind and maimed crowd of people. They approached Jesus. They drew near. They arrived in the very literal presence of the incarnated Christ. And they may not have realized it, but they were in the very presence of God Because Jesus was God in the flesh. For some reason I was taken back this week as I looked in verse number 29 and studied the words, He went up into a mountain and sat down there. If you study the area here or or look it up in your maps, in your Bible, or do a concordance study or something about this area, you'll find this is a desolate place. Nothing is happening here. The God who made all things happen is now positioning Himself in a place 
where nothing is happening. The God who is life is now placed Himself in the midst of disease and death. The God who created all things has come down now and positioned Himself in a mountain where everything is barren and desolate. And if you read the context, the ground they are sitting upon, there's probably no color whatsoever to any of this. It is just Christ sitting there among the desolate and the dark and the defeated and the gloom. But Jesus is God in the flesh. And He is here on this mountain for a few moments of time. For three days He will be here. For three days this becomes, if you will, His earthly throne of sovereign grace, if you will. Meaning He has positioned Himself here for one purpose only, and that is to dispense grace. That is to give grace and compassion. He talks about it over and over again. His compassion, He has sat down here so he can give compassion to people who need it. You look at the big picture of why God came into this world. He came to save. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He left the throne of heaven to come into this desolate world, into this world defiled and broken by sin. He came and sat down among our barrenness and identified with us so that he could give us life and he could give us Something more than physical healing so He could give us spiritual life. Life that we could never create on our own. Notice verse 32, Matthew tells us, they continue with me. Jesus said they've been with me three days. Now the, the, the healing that goes on here is just miraculous. The Almighty God is sitting here with them. The Almighty God is there in the person of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's been there three days. If you read the text, it's like they bring these people. They carried them, many blind and couldn't see, so they led them. Many lame and couldn't walk, so they carried them. And many with other diseases, missing limbs. That word maimed can just really go deep when you look at what they're dealing with here. And they're bringing these people and literally casting them at Jesus' feet. And when those were healed, they would bring more. And this went on one day, two days. And according to our text, this went on Three days. Jesus said we've been here three days. Do you know he had no less power after day one than he did at the beginning of day one? He had no less power at the beginning at the beginning of day two than he did at the end of day two. His power at the end of day three was the same power that it was at the beginning of day one. You know why? Almighty God is there on the mountain, and Jesus is God in the flesh. We sometimes talk about our world as if this problem we're having and all of this sin we're seeing has somehow caught God by surprise. We sometimes act like that our sin has become a 12-volt system and Christ's grace and mercy is only 6-volt. No, He is Almighty God and He has the power to save to the uttermost. He has the power to do whatever needs to be done. So this story is placed in Scripture repetitiously so you and I will remember that Jesus is Almighty God in the flesh. The prophet Isaiah said He would be, Isaiah 9, 6, this child that will be born, this son that will be given. Isaiah said His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. The Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, here is the Mighty God. Do you know an oncologist that can handle this? 
Do you know a neurologist that can handle verse 30? Do you know an ophthalmologist that can handle verse 30? Do you know anyone that can handle that? And I know a few preachers on TV who think they can, but no one can handle this. This is taking power for lame people to walk, for blind people to see, for those who cannot speak to speak, for those who came to Him with crippled or maybe even missing limbs, and they left His presence with limbs intact, and eyes open, they're walking, and they are hearing, and they are seeing, and only God knows what's involved in that many others. All of this, Jesus had the power to take care of that. And that story is repeated over and over and over again. And it's one thing to know that theologically, and it's another thing to embrace that intellectually, and it's another thing to write that down where you can read that out visibly, but to know that in your everyday life, that He's able to do that. Thank God that is peace, and that is safety, and that is security. We live in a world where men flaunt their power, where men exercise their power, where men brag about their power, and we live in fear of their power. Listen, fear God. Bow before Him, brother. There is no power above the power of Almighty God. And that power is seen here on the mountain, sitting on the ground. Here is God with us, God with them. Jesus is with them. That's God with them. The eternal God, the eternal God is in their three-day moment of time. Get this. The eternal God is sitting with them three days. He's sitting there with them in their moment. The omnipresent God who can be in all places at all times has now confined Himself to this little mountain so He can heal them and so He can help them. The all-powerful God is with them in their weakness and in their inability. The invisible God has now made Himself visible in the person of His own Son. And He is with them. Well, Jesus could have spoken a word at a distance and every one of these people could have been healed before they ever got there and they would have never had to have been brought. He's God. He could have spoke a word here and that and never, nobody in Palestine would have ever had a cold again had the Son of God chosen to do that. But here's the message of the Gospels. Here's the message of Matthew. Here's the reason this story is repeated. God is here on this mountain. He is here for these few moments of time, these three days. He is here to let them see and to let them know that God sent Him to be with them. Emmanuel, God with us. Church, He is no less with us today, although He is literally now ascended back to the Father. Thank God He is with us. He is living in us. He has promised to never leave us nor forsake us. This story of healing and feeding is a reminder that our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, is God Almighty in the flesh. He is here. He is here. In the beginning, John 1 was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1, 1 and 2 and John 1, 14. We know that He literally, for 30 plus years, dwelt here, God, with us. But oh, thank God He is still with us. He is still with us. He is still here, Jesus, the Almighty God. 
Secondly, this story is repeated, not only so we will know that Jesus is Almighty God in the flesh, I hope you believe the healings. I believe verse 30, when it said the last four words of verse 30, after the semicolon, says, and He healed them. I believe He did. I believe He healed them. He goes on, Matthew said, insomuch that the multitude wondered. They are absolutely dumbfounded. They are astonished. They are amazed. <clears throat> they see the dumb people speaking. They, say pe- they see people without limbs. They now have limbs. They see lame people walking. Blind people are seeing. I believe it happened. I believe he actually did what the Bible said that he did here. He actually did that. Jesus is Almighty God. No other power on earth can do that. No other power but God. But secondly, this story is repeated. So not only we can be reminded that Jesus is Almighty God in the flesh, but so we can remember that Jesus' mercy, like the gospel, is unrestricted. We need these stories because in these stories of the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000, If they magnify anything, they magnify the compassion of Jesus and they magnify the mercy of Jesus and they show us that His compassion and His mercy, like the gospel, is unrestricted. In the same verses, we must be reminded that although Jesus' great mission, as I said last Sunday morning, He stated it, was to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, His concern and compassion extended to the Gentiles as well. Mark tells us in the parallel chapter, Mark 7, 31, that the area that he was in is now Decapolis. Decapolis, meaning the the place of ten cities. It was a predominantly Gentile region. There was no attempt on the part of Jesus to isolate his ministry or limit his ministry only to the Jews. And we need to be reminded of that this morning. We need to hear that over and over again. This crowd, they are absolutely amazed. They wonder by what Jesus has done. They're amazed by His power. And the crowd in turn, as you'll see in verse 31, they praise the God of Israel. You know why they reached back and praised the God of Israel? They had no God of their own to praise. The Gentiles just worshipped anything that crawled. But they knew, they knew that this one before them was the God of Israel. And that language is Matthew's way of hinting to us or telling us that this crowd is predominantly Gentile. They're in a Gentile region. These people are not the recipients of the law. They were not recipients of God's covenant promises. They are not recipients of the prophets preaching. They are not those people. They are, as Paul told the Ephesians, they are aliens. They are strangers from the commonwealth. These are Gentiles who don't belong there. But they recognize that the God of the covenant and the God of the promises and the God of grace has now stepped into their moment in the person of Jesus Christ and He has almighty power to change them and he also has mercy upon them for every need they have in life we need never forget that and be reminded of that these Gentiles are saying your God the God of Israel is the one responsible for doing these great things they glorified the God of Israel Church, we need to be reminded of something very important from this story right here. 
Baptists, I can't speak for others because I'm not one of them, but Baptists tend to become comfortable with our family circle. We tend to reach out to people like us. People who are different from us are often overlooked, or sometimes we look at them as unworthy of mercy. Unworthy of mercy. Sometimes we look at them as unworthy of us sharing the gospel with them. Jesus, in these stories of the healings and the feedings, show us that His mercy, like the gospel, is not restricted to just a few people that are the elite or are the religious. The gospel writers share these stories over and over again to remind us of the responsibility that we have to show mercy outside the boundaries of our own family and circle of friends. In my first pastorate, and I know my family will remember this, when we had to move, the first church I pastored, was we were sitting on the right-of-way of a road project, and so in the late 70s, 79, right around that time, we had to move, relocate to another piece of property. And we located to a, to a piece of property we'd bought off a, off a dairy farm that had closed years ago. And, and so that was a, it was acreage all around us there. We were just sitting there. But then over the years, uh, that land began to be sold off by the family. And before you know it, there's a housing development starts built. It just kind of horseshoed right in behind uh, the church. Now, I remember, I remember one night going out, and I met at the church with a few of the men, and we were going out to visit those homes that people had moved in. And I remember one of the men said to me, he said, Preacher, we want to we be careful. He said, I'm not sure that all of these people are like us. And he said, we don't want to invite anybody in here that's going to disrupt our fellowship. And I looked back at him and I said, well, you pick out which family you want to go to hell and we'll skip that house. That's what I said to him. And he hasn't responded yet. I said, you pick out which one of these houses that you want us to say you're not like us. We come to the story of Christ having compassion on the multitudes, of Christ going beyond the lost sheep of the house of Israel, reaching out to the lowest of the lowest, the Gentiles, these lame, blind, maimed, crooked, diseased, defiled people, showing compassion and having mercy on them. Not in a quick movement through a city, but sat there on the ground for three days and let these people come to Him. Here we are, 2,000 plus years on the right side of the cross, Thank God the Son of God is still saying, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The Son of God is still saying, Come to me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. He is still saying today, Come to me and believe and trust in me. These stories are written that we might know that Jesus is the Almighty God in the flesh and that we might be reminded that His mercy like the gospel is unrestricted. My time's gone, but I want to point out something in the feeding of the 4,000 compared to the feeding of the 5,000 back in Matthew 14, 15. And you can go back and look at it if you want to. But in the feeding of the 5,000, 
Jesus is just right off the shore of the Sea of Galilee, primarily a Jewish region. That's a Jewish region. There in that story, the disciples come to Jesus. You remember, they come to Jesus wanting Him to feed the multitude. They've been here, Lord, so they've been a long time, and they're hungry. Remember, they're in home territory. They're in the Jewish region there of the Sea of Galilee. Here in our story this morning in the feeding of the 4,000, we are not right off the shore of the Sea of Galilee. We are in primarily, according to verse 29 in Mark's gospel, we are in flat-out Gentile territory. And the people have been there three days. Then look at verse 32 of our text. Then Jesus called His disciples unto Him and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they continue now with me three days and have nothing to eat. I will not send them away fasting lest they faint in the way. Do you see Jesus is the one who takes the initiative of the feeding here because we're in Gentile territory and the disciples are not that concerned about it. But lest we spit in their face, let's search our own hearts. In Jewish territory, the disciples want their crowd fed. In Gentile territory, they're not so excited about it. They're not so excited about it. They're learning and so are we. Jesus is again showing the disciples His compassion, His pity, His sympathy. And the reason He's teaching this to His disciples is they're going to need this in their ministry. These men are going to carry the gospel to the Gentiles and they're going to need the same compassion that Jesus had. So we read these stories over and over again so when we leave here this morning, we too can have pity and have compassion upon people. No less than nine times, and I won't read them this morning, no less than nine times in the Gospels, Jesus is accounted as or stated as being one of compassion. The point of all of this is that Jesus repeats these stories in the Gospel to remind us to have the same compassion and mercy He had toward everyone. Thirdly and finally, not only are these stories repeated so we know He's Almighty God and so we remember His mercy is unrestricted, but thirdly, we are totally dependent upon Jesus. And He wants us to understand that. Look at verse 33. And His disciples say unto Him, Whence should we have so much bread in the wilderness as to fill so great a multitude? Now they hit the nail on the head there. They are saying we do not have current resources to meet the needs of this present location. Could I just testify for myself and all of us here this morning, this church, you and I, within ourselves, we do not have the current resources to meet the spiritual needs of our location. We are totally dependent upon Jesus Christ. If anybody's saved, He saves them. If anybody is blessed, He blesses them. We do not have the current resources. There was not enough unless it came through His hands. And this is a lesson we need to remember over and over again, lest we in this self-sufficient age think that we can do anything. Jesus said to His disciples, Without Me, ye can do nothing. Nothing. B.R. Lincoln said, Nothing is a ring with the circle knocked off. There's nothing that we can do. He didn't say without me you, can do, you can't do much. He didn't say without me you folks can do a lot. He didn't say that. He said without me you can do nothing. 
Take Jesus out of the feed, out of the healing. Take Jesus out of the feeding. And you've got a bunch of lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and other people who come there, leave their disease, and people who come there, spend three days, and leave there hungry. Put Jesus in the story, and thank God all things are taken care of. That's my testimony to you today about my life. Take him out of it. And I'm just a man born to a man and a woman who lived a life and brought into the world men and women who died, lost, and have nothing in eternity. Put Jesus in the story. Thank God I'm a brand new creature in Christ. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Look at verse 29. Two phrases, and I'm finished. It said in verse 29, verse 29, that he healed, that he he healed them. Excuse me, verse 30. The last. Three words of verse 30. He healed them. Verse 37 and 38 says, They did all eat and were filled, and it was all because of Jesus. God with them on the mountain, His mercy and compassion displayed through His personal encounter with misery and sin. Now everything I've told you this morning about this, in these stories, all of this was temporal. All of this was temporary. Every lame man that He made walk died. Every blind man that he opened his eyes died. Every person that couldn't speak, that left speaking, died. Every crippled person that he restored limbs or made limbs come alive again. All of those people that enjoyed that, that was only temporary. The seven loaves and fishes that he broke and fed 4,000, not counting men and women. After a day or two, they got hungry again and had to have food. But Jesus said in John's gospel, you need to seek for the meat You need to seek for the meat that is eternal life. These stories are here to remind us that not only could Jesus meet the temporal needs of life as He did and as He does, He came to give us eternal life. He came to meet the eternal needs of our soul. Not just the lameness of our legs, but the inability to ever walk in righteousness. Not just the blindness of my eyes to see a sunset, but the blindness of my eyes to ever see the kingdom of God. Not just the inability to hear the waves of the oceans roar, but the inability to hear the voice of God. Christ came that I could hear the voice of God, that I could see His salvation, and that I could by faith walk into His kingdom. Because He had saved my soul. And He came to feed me. He came to feed me and quench the hunger and the thirst that I have eternally. And this world today is looking for that. That's what they're, they're trying to fill the hunger and thirst that they'll never find in this world. Most of you, as I said earlier, were here four weeks ago when I preached on the feeding of the 5,000. You're here again this morning to hear the feeding of the 4,000. If I went back and preached the two messages over again next Sunday, it'd be okay. I know at least Paul and Peter would agree with me. It would be okay. Why? Because Jesus knows like the disciples, we forget. The hymn writer said, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. We forget sometimes that He's Almighty God. Church, we're going to leave here in a few minutes. Don't forget and keep reminding yourself and keep being reminded by reading the Bible that our Savior is Almighty God in the flesh. And keep reminding yourself that His mercy extends beyond your family circle. And certainly don't forget to totally depend upon Him. This is how we grow in grace. We read the Scriptures. We read them again. 
We sit under the teaching of God's Word week after week. We gather on the Lord's Day with His people to hear the Word taught, to hear the Word preached. We gather together to hear the same things over and over again. And as Paul said to the Philippians, I write to you the same things that you may be safe. And as Peter said, I put put you in remembrance, though you already know them. I didn't come to this pulpit this morning thinking that you did not know that Jesus was God in the flesh. I did not come to this pulpit this morning thinking that you did not know that His mercy extends beyond our boundaries. And I didn't come to preach to you because I thought you were ignorant of the fact that we must totally depend upon Him. I came to remind you, as Jesus did in these stories, of His great power, of His great compassion and mercy, and of the fact when everything's wrong in our world, we can totally depend upon Him. And as a matter of fact, when everything's right in our world, oh, how we really need to depend upon Him. I'm going to pray, and John's going to come lead us in a congregational hymn before we go this morning. Let's pray, and then we're going to sing. Father, I want to thank You this morning for the Word of God. Thank You for the repetition of this story. Though different in detail, different in events, Lord, it still conveys the message of Your power, of Your mercy, and of the fact that we as Your children depend totally upon You. Whether on a mountain with hungry people, whether on a stormy sea, Lord, wherever we are, Lord, we are totally dependent upon You. I pray You'd continue to teach us, help us to be learners as Your disciples were learners. Help us to continue to be learners And may we continue to read the Bible, and may we read it over and over again. May we continue to be faithful to hearing the Word of God taught in Sunday school and preached, Lord, and and discussed and prayed about and prayed over and studied. God, may we never get too old for that. May we never get too far away from that, because we need it, Lord, to be reminded. Again, I pray this morning you'd be with our families. Lord, you know those that have death and those that have sickness. Those, Lord, who are caregivers and those that have needs at home, I pray, Lord, you'd work in all of these to your glory and honor. Thank you again for being our Savior today. Thank you for coming. Thank you that the God of eternity sat down on a mountain for three days in order that those who had nothing could have everything and those who had little could have much and those who had great spiritual needs could find those needs met in Christ. I'm glad you're still here today to help us through your word and the working of your spirit. Grant it to be so in our hearts. We'll thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. John's going to lead us.